We are on episode 14, all about sleep. Today, I have Dr. Paul Tiemann, Medical Director of MedSleep, a clinic that provides sleep medicine services across Canada. Paul is a board-certified sleep specialist. He treats patients 18 and above with all sleep disorders, including obstructive apnea, narcolepsy, restless leg syndrome, parasomnias, and insomnia. We're going to talk all things sleep today, do a myth or fact segment, and answer some questions for you listeners. So thank you so much for coming on. I'm excited to have you and yeah, answer some good questions. Well, thanks for having me. So let's just start with you telling us a little bit about yourself, where you went to school, and how you got started in this career path. Um, I got interested in sleep, um, I guess, during medical school. I'm trying to think back. That was a long time ago. <laughs> um, where did you go to medical school? Oh, um, I'm from Minnesota, actually. So, okay. um, Born and raised there? Yeah, I'm, I'm an American. Sorry about that. <laughs> I like to joke. Yikes. <laughs> I'm actually, I just became Canadian, so I can't, oh, I can't use that. Nice. <laughs> but I'm culturally, I'm still an American, I guess. Nothing okay. magical happens, but yeah. Um, so I, I went to, um, I did all my, uh, all my schooling in Minnesota, undergraduate at the University of Minnesota. And then I went to uh, medical school at the University of Minnesota and um, sleep medicine at the time, probably even to this day is not a large part of the curriculum. Mm-hmm. I actually did an, a two-week elective. So in, in the fourth year of at the University of Minnesota, you're allowed a certain number of electives. Mm-hmm. And so there's like this, there was this kind of book that had electives in it, and I was just flipping through it, and there was this rotation on sleep. And I'm like, oh, awesome, I get to sleep? That's That sounds sweet. Not bad. <laughs> um, so uh, I signed up. It was at um, Hennepin County Medical Center, which is um, a, a county hospital associated with the University of Minnesota and they had a Mm. sleep center and I spent time shadowing the sleep doctors there and at the time I was ready planning on going into psychiatry Um, so I had matched um, to become to go into a psychiatric residency and then um, the there was a at least one or two doctors there who were psychiatrists who did sleep medicine I was like psychiatrists can do this and I thought Mm. it was really interesting the subject matter was kind of cool and then they actually said, or towards the end of the rotation, they said, why don't you spend, why don't you do a sleep study, see what it's like? Mm-hmm. And so I had, um, they, I had, I spent a night in the sleep center where um, they hook you up with wires all over to measure different yeah. physiologic parameters. And I got diagnosed with a sleep disorder. Oh, wow. It's kind of funny because, <laughs> um, so there were two medical students on me and this other guy named, um, well, I won't, I won't mention his name, but um, mm-hmm. years later, I run into this other the former medical student, mm-hmm. student, um, and we both ended up doing sleep. Oh, nice! <laughs> he, he's in Oregon. That's funny. I um, at the time I was in Utah, um, but we both got we both got diagnosed with sleep disorders, which is kind of That's interesting. Funny, yeah. So I got diagnosed with severe obstructive sleep apnea. Oh, yeah. we'll talk about what that is really later. Yeah. <laughs> and they treated me, and oh, yeah. I um, eventually got better, but it changed my life literally. Um, what made you move to Canada then? And how long did you practice in the U.S. versus here? Um, so I, I did a psychiatric residency. I Technically, I'm a psychiatrist. Um, okay. I don't practice anymore, but um, I do just sleep medicine now. But um, So I, mm. I, I spent, I did my residency at the Mayo Clinic uh, okay. in Rochester, Minnesota, where I met my wife. When she finished her training, I wanted to move to Seattle. 
But I don't know if you know anything about the medical training. Um, there's like a match. Uh, Canadians have their own version. They yeah. have their own name for it called CARMS, Canadian something residency match service. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the U.S. system, they match you up with a program. So you like interview at places, different hospitals. And uh, my wife told me we were hopefully going to Seattle. I had a job all set up at uh, a sleep center in Seattle. And then they... Every year, sometime in March, so the Canadians have their match, like first week of March, the mm-hmm. Americans have it around St. Patrick's Day, um, and they have a big ceremony, and then, like, nice. so we opened this, I remember I was taking photos, because it's like a big celebration, you're going to yeah, figure out where sure. you're going to spend the rest of, you know, the next four to five, six, yeah. depending on how long the residency is. She's opening, opening the envelope, and she says, we're going to Utah! <laughs> And I was like, Ooh. what? <laughs> what about Seattle? Because you sign an agreement. Like, you right. are going to go where they send you. Mm-hmm. And so you can't say, I changed my mind. No, you have to go. Yeah. And so we ended up in uh, Salt Lake City for... I, I fortunately uh, had a job there at the University of Utah. So I spent six years there before immigrating to Canada. So we were there for six years. And then um, why we moved to Canada is because my wife got a job here essentially I, I this was not my first choice <laughs> hey now <laughs> um was it always calgary that you first moved here in uh, we, Canada? Mo- we went from um minnesota salt lake city she's my wife spent a year in nashville for her okay. training she's a physician as well and uh and then we ended up uh, coming to calgary because at the time when she was finishing like job opportunities for both specialists um mm-hmm. were kind of hard to find um in the yeah. same city we could have i could have had a job like somewhere else but we'd have to live apart so so mm-hmm. that's why we ended up moving to calgary she had a job offer they needed someone here and it, the other options were limited so and how long have you guys been here now since 2012 nice i, I find it's not that different from minnesota would Ash- you say it's actually quite- it's like coming here mm-hmm. compared to salt lake mm-hmm. city uh, it felt more like what I was used to growing up. That's good then. Culturally and and weather-wise. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um so right now what would you say are the most common sleep disorders that you treat? Um well there's six categories of sleep disorders. Um probably the one that that I see mostly is insomnia. Okay. Yeah, that's defined as trouble falling asleep trouble getting back to sleep mm-hmm. and it leads to a consequence there are some lucky people who don't need much sleep mm-hmm. we call them short sleepers like um i had a colleague at the university of utah who studied these people they usually don't show mm-hmm. up to doctor's offices but yeah these are people who, who don't need much sleep but they they suffer no noticeable consequence like they they're not compensating by napping or right using energy drinks they just don't need much sleep in contrast, someone who has insomnia, they often come to my office and they just, they're like, I feel horrible. Um, the, the driving force is I'm not sleeping well, but it leads to them, feel, you know, there's a consequence to it. So, okay. so that's what I see a lot of insomnia. Is there a main cause for insomnia? A lot of it is, I want to say like emotional, psychiatric. I mean, oh, okay. that's kind of... I, I said at the beginning, I don't really practice psychiatry much. I don't. Um, mm-hmm. I actually try not to. <laughs> um, because I'm so, I mean, 
to, to practice a field of medicine, you kind of have to keep up with it. And I just right. don't keep up with the psychiatric, like medications, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, but um, I recognize when I see someone who is like depressed or right. an- anxious and often people think or feel like well I'm not sleeping well that's why I feel this way mm-hmm. that's why I feel like I can't I'm, I'm depressed or anxious I'm I can't concentrate I'm having trouble sleeping mm-hmm. um, I have no energy but when you look at all of those symptoms those are the symptoms of depression right and you have to treat the whole that whole condition like people often will think well can't you just treat the insomnia Mm-hmm. Well, that's like just treating one, one part thing, of yeah. a syndrome. You have to treat the whole thing. And but I think because mental health has um, you know a lot of stigma, people don't want to focus on. Well, I have depression. No, I have insomnia. And I, I I try to get them to recognize. Well, we I can focus on the insomnia. I can give you pointers, some behavioral things. Um, I try not to prescribe medications because a lot of times people come to see me, they're already on medications. Either um, their doctor doesn't want to prescribe them medication anymore, mm-hmm. um, or the medications are not as effective as they once were, and so a lot. So, like giving more medication usually isn't the, the answer. Um, so I try to try to get people to change behaviors, which we can with CBT. T- yeah, cognitive okay. behavioral therapy. Okay, um, which we can talk more about. Sure. But uh, yeah, so I forgot what the original question was. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, but yeah, I see a lot of insomnia. What about narcolepsy? Can you tell us a little bit more about that and the similarities and differences with respect to insomnia? They're polar opposites. Okay. So <laughs> if you come in to see me like, and you can't sleep, by definition, you can't have narcolepsy. That would okay. be like saying jumbo shrimp or right. military intelligence. Okay. <laughs> They're polar opposite. <laughs> so like people with insomnia want to sleep but can't. People with narcolepsy are excessively sleep. They have no trouble falling asleep by definition. If someone right. says, I think right. I'm narcoleptic, and then they say, I can't fall asleep, then it's like, well, you can't have narcolepsy. Your narcoleptics fall asleep. They're really good at that. They're excessively mm. good at that. Even when they want to stay awake. During the day, they are falling asleep inappropriately. When you ask someone with insomnia, like they, a lot of people with insomnia say, I'm tired. I'm like, oh, really? Tell me about that. Mm-hmm. And um, they'll, I'll ask them, like, well, what situations do you have trouble, you know, staying awake? And they're like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm not falling asleep. Well, then you're not. There's a difference between being mm-hmm. sleepy and being fatigued. Not the same thing. I, I like pull my hair out. Not that I <laughs> have any, but like... <laughs> Yeah. I pull my hair out trying to get people to understand that there is a difference. It was pounded into my brain during mm-hmm. my training that mm-hmm. there's a difference between sleepiness and fatigue. Okay. Not the same thing. Grant, a lot of patients and doctors use these terms interchangeably, um, but um, sleepiness is when you're in that relaxed setting, watching mm-hmm. TV, reading, passenger in a car, and you are fighting the urge to sleep. Most people with insomnia, they feel fatigued. Mm-hmm. They feel... Like their body is tired, their mind is tired, they can't focus or concentrate, they feel mm-hmm. emotionally exhausted. But when you ask them, so like, where are you falling asleep in? Like, no, I'm not sleepy. So when they get into bed, they're physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausted, mm-hmm. but they're not sleepy. So they lay there feeling frustrated and anxious that they can't sleep, which then makes it worse. Interesting. And people kind of use common sense when it comes to insomnia, which doesn't apply 
they think, well, I'm not sleeping well, so I will give myself more opportunity, i.e. I will spend more time in bed, hoping sleep happens. Yeah. And I, str- I, I challenge, that's the C in cognitive, is I challenge their beliefs that I need eight hours. Mm-hmm. So they're in bed for 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 hours, eking out little bits of sleep. Mm-hmm. And they think things are going to get better by continuing that behavior. And I try to get them to change, which is, it's hard. I think um, people's beliefs is really hard to change. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's get into cognitive behavioral therapy. So would you say this is your main form of treatment that you do? Yes, now, generally, CBT, so just a little background, cognitive mm-hmm. behavioral therapy is a type of psychotherapy, like psychodynamic psychotherapy, like when think of, when people think of psychotherapy, they think Freud, right? Like they think right. laying on a couch and like, tell me about your relationship with your father, blah, blah, yeah. blah. That's a type of psychotherapy. CBT is a type of psychotherapy that's applied to mood disorders, mm-hmm. PTSD, anxiety disorders. This is specifically for insomnia, hence CBTI, mm-hmm. cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And generally speaking, that is provided by a psychologist. I am not a psychologist. Yeah. So it's frustrating because at my old sleep center at the University of Utah mm-hmm. in Salt Lake, we had a dedicated psychologist, Dr. Laura Chakowsky who saw all the insomnia patients. Well, I would say 90% of the insomnia patients mm-hmm. that I saw insomnia patients when they refused to see the psychologist. They wanted to see uh, okay. the physician. And I was like, well, I can see you, but I'm going to refer you to Dr. Chakowsky. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. I, I would have arguments with patients. I'd be like, um, what do you expect I can do for you? And they would say, well, isn't there another medication? Like, you've been on all medications. I don't have any magic pills up my sleeves. Right. Um, so with that said, I mean, I'm by myself at my clinic. I don't have like a psych. I wish I did. Right. Um, I will kind of go over the principles of CBTI um, and give people instructions. But it's not generally like when you when when like dr Chakowsky would see patients for cbti she would see them every couple weeks every like maybe once every two weeks mm-hmm. until they kind of started getting better and started noticing a difference and then maybe the appointments would kind of be extended to every f- three weeks it was usually like a maybe 16 weeks or, or so in total right um I usually don't see people that frequently. I might see someone every four to six weeks. I just don't have the time to see people that frequently. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I do give people the, the core principles, but is it technically CBTI? It's it's the principles, but it's um, I, it's not as frequently as like a therapist would see. So what, see. what my clinic has done to kind of bridge the gap, so to speak, is they have like these there's a couple programs I try to get people to sign up for that uh, are online. Mm-hmm. Um, one is called um, Halio. Uh, it's a company out of Quebec that connects people with insomnia to actual therapists, and they do it through oh, like a line service, like um, like you would see see them through like a, 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 a like Skype. Okay. Um, and um, unfortunately, it's not covered by Alberta Health Service. It's uh, there's a fee for it, but sometimes in private insurance might cover it. So right, yeah. So I I try not to prescribe medications. I tr- a lot of like I said, a lot of the times mm-hmm. people come they're already on medications, um, and so I try to get people off medications 
a lot of people are taking medications that you have to taper mm. or slowly reduce. I see a lot of people using cannabis now. Mm. Yes, that was another question I had for later. <laughs> um, okay, so moving on. What would you say is the most dangerous or severe sleeping disorder? Hmm. Um, I guess there's someone who is excessively sleepy for whatever reason um, and getting behind the wheel. Like if you were the thing that kind of keeps me awake (laughs) Um, or yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, It gives me a little insomnia is when I I see a patient who drives or does something for a living that requires um, them to be alert, to be awake, Mm -hmm. like truck drivers, for instance. Um, And they have um, a sleep disorder like obstructive sleep apnea. And as long as they're being treated, um, they should be okay, but um, I run into patients who are sometimes required to come to see me, like um, truck drivers, for instance. We've uh, this my my clinic has had partnerships mm-hmm. with some truck driving companies, and those companies, you know, they're trying to they're trying to make um, the roads safer. There's mm-hmm. data showing that if you have um, a truck driver who's untreated for, for obstructive sleep apnea, they have they run a higher risk of falling asleep driving, and that's that's really the more acute concern. The more immediate concern is um, falling asleep driving, okay. and so um, those those are patients that are uh, are difficult because um, they're often they're not coming on their own volition. Uh, they're coming mm-hmm. at the request of their employer, and they often feel like I have no problem, and yeah. and uh, and then we we test them, and we find when we find they have let's say severe obstructive sleep apnea, they are um, we, we we ask them to be treated. Um, mm-hmm. But if they refuse treatment, then I'm put in a difficult position because now we have some we know right. we have someone who has severe a, a severe medical condition that can impair their driving ability, and then they're refusing treatment, and then uh, then that's where I I don't particularly like what I have. My position is like then I have to notify the Ministry of Transportation and, oh, okay. um, and then it creates a you know you're affecting someone's livelihood. But at the same time, sure. I don't want them to crash their vehicle. Yeah, you know, like I hear on every once in a while you'll see a, a car accident or um, um, you know a truck driving accident, and I'm the first thing that comes to my mind is I'm hope you know I hope that wasn't one of my patients. Oh no, um, yeah. So. So that's kind of the more immediate concern, like long-term health effects, um, like with severe obstructive sleep apnea, moderate to severe obstructive sleep apnea, Mm -hmm. um, it's associated with increased um, cardiovascular metabolic risks, like uh, high blood pressure, heart attacks, stroke, type 2 diabetes. So those are things that are more like in the realm of, um, like if you had untreated high blood pressure, you you know, this is not going to hurt you today, it will hurt you 10 years from now. Okay. Um, how common are sleep disorders? Like, is it a one in three people will have a sleep disorder throughout their lifetime or? Um, disorder defined as like leading as happening, um, most days of the week, you know, Mm. starting to affect how you function during the day. I would say, I mean, everyone has a night, for instance, that you have trouble sleeping. I would, you know, mm. if you're not human, if you don't get affected by for sure stress yeah. or you know, even the people who say they have no sleep problems, even if you you have something big going on, something stressful, you might have some trouble sleeping. But when it, for instance, um, 
insomnia, I would say, is the most common sleep disorder. 10 to 20% of the population has chronic insomnia, defined as um, like trouble wow. getting to sleep, trouble getting back to sleep, occurring most nights of the week mm-hmm. um, for three or more months. That's oh. the definition of chronic, three yeah. months. Right. Um, and so that's a huge number of the population. One estimate, um, 70 million Americans. That's a lot. <laughs> Twice the wow. population of Canada. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> um, so it's 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 a huge, huge problem. And a lot of people end up just you know, going in. I, well, what I hear from patients, they, they'll often you know, go to a walk-in clinic um, mm. or their family physician, and they will get uh, prescribed something, which works. That's mm-hmm. kind of its double-edged sword. The medication works, so then the doctor will say, don't take this regularly because it's right. habit forming and a lot you know totally. so a lot of patients know ahead of time okay uh, don't take it but then it's like they sleep so well with it yeah why don't i just take it every <laughs> night and sleep well and then that's a slippery slope where people start um using these medications uh, they're called there's different names for them but they're they often begin with the letter z is there the z they all the z drugs they're called okay um zopiclone Zolpidem, Zalepilon, so those are the generic names. So they often go by their their brand names are Imavane, Ambien. Um, there's a uh, the the last Z drug I mentioned, Zalepilon, isn't well known because the Canadian manufacturer stopped making it. So, but it, it went by the brand name brand name mm-hmm. uh, Starnock. Okay. And in the states, it went by the brand name. It's still available in the states um, more readily than in Canada, but um, uh, Sonata. Hmm. So those those medications are commonly prescribed and um like i said i see a lot of people who are they started out maybe five ten years ago taking it once a week and then mm-hmm. it, maybe even half a tablet and then they started taking it every day i'm dependent on it and then yeah. take the full tablet and then by the time they see me they're like well the full tablet um you know i get three or four hours of sleep but it wasn't as effective as when i first took it that's yeah. tolerance and so um, some people will start taking more mm-hmm. and then they'll run out of their prescription early and they'll call their family doctor and then the family doctor gets upset like, you're not due for your prescription. And then they come mm. see me. <laughs> and then they're like, you don't prescribe medications? I'm like, well. Rather not. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, then what am I supposed to do? And, and, I, and then I try to get them to reduce it. It's, for it's, sure. I've often, I've actually asked um, if I should like put that on our website that I try not to prescribe because people have the expectations. They like, yeah, I had one patient come and she said something to the effect of like, aren't you going to hook me up to that thing? And I want to be hooked up to that thing. You mean like anesthesia? Like (laughs) she was not happy with my recommendations. Um, sleep paralysis. Yes. Do you see people who have sleep paralysis often? Um, not it's not a common thing i i i see it um i've experienced it it's, i actually get it quite frequently oh, do you really? yes and it's, i hate it <laughs> it's really scary it really is so yeah. um sleep paralysis um can occur in normal individuals i've mm-hmm. experienced it mm-hmm. um so a little physiology um yeah. so sleep is divided into non-rem mm-hmm. and rem rem is the stage of sleep where you dream Mm-hmm. Rap, it's rapid eye movement. Yeah. Um, P 
people always think REM is deep sleep. I just want to say that that just irks me when I hear that. Am I getting enough deep REM sleep? I don't know where people get that from. REM sleep yeah. is active sleep. Okay. Your brain is and and babies Most active. For some odd reason, we don't use the term non-REM and REM. We use the term non-active sleep mm-hmm. and active sleep. I wish we actually used that term in adults yeah. too, because I think that makes more sense. In REM, your brain is active, mm-hmm. so you're dreaming. Um, the metabolic activity of the brain is elevated. But the paradox is that when you're dreaming, you're paralyzed. So there's a normal paralysis that occurs when you're dreaming, so you don't physically mm-hmm. act out your dream. Right. The only muscles that retain any motor activity are your eye muscles, hence the term REM, rapid eye movement. So your eyes are flickering back and forth. Right. Your heart is a muscle that keeps going, and your main breathing muscle, the diaphragm, keeps going. Everything else gets paralyzed. Hmm. Um so it's when you're dreaming, you shouldn't be able to move. There's a little bit of muscle twitching. You might, in some people, um, the dream content is so powerful that they might like, um, like oh, scream or or kick. But 99% of the time, there's a part of the brain called the pons. It's in the brainstem that prevents all that cortical activity, mm-hmm. um, the the upper brain activity that the dream from getting past that point so you're paralyzed now every once in a while um especially in the morning when there's more REM so you have little bits of REM throughout the night um usually the first episode of REM occurs within 90 to 120 minutes of sleep onset and then you go through cycles of non-REM stage one two three there used to be a stage four but it went the way of Pluto um got downgraded Um, and then REM so that's one cycle so you go through cycles and you have most of your deep sleep non-REM stage three mm-hmm. within the first three to four hours and then you have REM uh, more REM towards the end of the night so closer to the morning um, now every once in a while what the, the way I think of it is like it's like a short circuit you wake up in REM and that part of the brain that prevents you from physically acting out your dreams is still active so you're awake but you can't move. Yeah. That's sleep paralysis. And it tends to occur, um, like I said, more in the morning because that's mm-hmm. when you have more REM. Uh, but it's associated with, it can happen with like sleep deprivation. So like the last right. time it happened to me, I was an intern working like 80 hours mm. and I had um, been up for 30 hours and went to the call room to get some re- recovery sleep. And, and it's, so when you get, when you're sleep deprived, like you get like this um, rebound effect once you get sleep you have an increase in usually the first night effect is um, increase in deep sleep but you, you can also get increased REM and so more propensity more more likelihood of like the short circuit where you wake up and your REM yeah. is active and that and you can't move um, sleep paralysis can also be it's one of the symptoms of narcolepsy uh, it's like cause it's not a, spe- a specific symptom because it can occur in other chronic sleep deprivation um but um yeah it's also a symptom of can be a symptom of narcolepsy do you know why it happens more often when you're laying on your back i've heard that a lot and for me it happens while i'm on my back which is weird or when i'm when i'm napping huh really yeah really napping or in the morning not long (laughs) that's interesting because usually like i said most 
people, it takes about 90 to 120 minutes to go into REM. So unless your naps are 90 to 120 minutes, you're not going to go Usually into not. REM. Usually <laughs> not. Unless you have narcolepsy. Because huh. nar- well, one, defi- one of the criteria for narcolepsy is you enter REM very quickly. We actually mm-hmm. have a test, one of the tests, we, well, the main test for narcolepsy. Um, or like, uh, so narcolepsy falls under the category of hypersomnia is of central origin. So excessive mm-hmm. sleepiness due to something in the brain because you can be sleepy for not getting enough sleep or untreated sleep apnea Mm -hmm. um so we we have this test where we time how quickly you fall asleep and how quickly you go into REM and it's these series of naps during the day um so so 20 to 35 minute nap opportunities where we time how quickly you fall asleep and how quickly you go into REM and narcoleptics Mm -hmm. fall asleep really quickly and then go into REM very quickly um, so if you're going into REM during naps, you know, and you're sleepy, I'm narcoleptic. Then. <laughs> there you should get to, you should be evaluated. <laughs> so it's, it's not just one symptom. It's like, you know, um, yeah. excessive sleepiness, the most specific symptom of narcolepsy because mm-hmm. sleepiness can be due to other things, right? Right. So the most specific symptom of narcolepsy is a symptom called cataplexy. Um, cataplexy is the loss of muscle tone mm-hmm. associated or caused by an emotional trigger typically finding something funny oh yeah okay it's usually a positive emotion like humor excitement rarely anger hmm. um so these people who have it's it's it used to be called narcolepsy with cataplexy, narcolepsy without cataplexy. People who had cataplexy, when they found something funny, you know, even as simple as like thinking about a funny story, yeah, they would feel weak to the point that they're like if they were standing, their knees would buckle and they would fall down. Um, it's bizarre. <laughs> yeah, it's it's and and they they're not falling asleep. That's a misconception. They're hmm. just becoming paralyzed. It's like that paralysis right. occurring when they're awake. Um, so it's different than like a seizure because if someone has a seizure, they, you know, they don't have awareness. These people, if, if it's really bad, like there are degrees of cataplexy where people might not be able to hold their head up or they might actually fall to the ground. When they fall to the ground, they're not asleep. They're totally aware. They just can't speak or move. It's that paralysis that's mm-hmm. occurring, um, when they're awake. So, so narcoleptics often have they're sleepy by definition they have no trouble falling asleep mm-hmm. um, they might wake up a lot during the night but they don't have any trouble getting back to sleep they they often have cataplexy 60 percent of narcoleptics have cataplexy mm-hmm. and then they might also have hallucinations it's the REM that that's almost right. like they're dreaming yeah. before they fall asleep or before they wake yeah. up um, and then they can't move when they're falling asleep or when they wake up, that's the sleep paralysis. So that's it's called the tetrad of narcolepsy: sleepiness, mm-hmm. excessive sleepiness, cataplexy, halluc- hyp- hypnagogic, hypnopompic mm. hallucinations, and sleep paralysis. It's frightening. <laughs> so um, the 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 sleep paralysis you you were asking why would that occur more on your back? I I'm not aware of it occurring more on oh, really? the back, but. You know, I guess if someone had untreated sleep apnea, for instance, mm-hmm. that's typically worse when you're on your back. Okay. And so when you're, if you if you had someone who had undiagnosed obstructive sleep apnea, and they had, it's that's worse when you're on your back, mm-hmm. and they're having more events on their back, and it tends 
to actually be worse when you're in REM as well, because mm-hmm. what did I say happens in REM? You're paralyzed, and what happens in obstructive sleep apnea is the right. upper airway collapses. So if your perfect storm is you're on your back dreaming. Mm. And so if you were chronically sleep-deprived and then uh, you were on your back, you might have more events, more sleep paralysis. I guess that's okay. possible. Let's do the myth or fact segment. So I found some myths, potential myths, and then you tell us if that's a myth or fact. So the first one is it's better to sleep on your left side than your right side. I don't know if there's any difference between the left to right, but for obstructive sleep apnea, it tends to be better when you're not on your back. So I, one of the treatment options I mm-hmm. go over with people is positional therapy. Like if, if when we do testing, if we find that they have more pauses on their back and they don't have any on their side, then I say try to sleep on your side. But I don't really say left or right. I'm, I'm okay. not aware of there being... Okay. Myth or fact, you need eight hours of sleep a day to function properly and live a healthy life. Myth. Myth. Okay. It depends. People love to ask me that question. How much sleep do (laughs) I need? And I like to answer with a question. How old are you? Depends on how old you are. Yeah, that is factor. (laughs) So um, if you're a baby, 16 hours, Mm -hmm. and it's not continuous. Right. Um, An adolescent, 9 to 10. Most adults, 7 to 8. Mm -hmm. Um. Like I said, there are some anomalies, outliers, like short sleepers. There's some, the other side of the coin is long sleepers. These are people who need 10 or more hours. Um, and as long as they get 10 or more hours of sleep, they're fine. It's just kind of hard to fit into society when you need that amount of sleep. Totally. It's, there's nothing wrong with these people. It's just like some people are short and some people are tall. And... What about seniors? Do they typically need more sleep? Seniors generally uh, need less sleep. So... Oh. Um, this is somewhat, some people don't agree with this. It's kind of a mm. controversial, but the general rule is like as we age, we tend to need less sleep. Um, and our, the timing of sleep changes too, which we can talk about. But um, so as we age, the theory is that sleep duration decreases. But some people think, well, maybe the nighttime sleep decreases, like the time, of, the, the amount of time we sleep at night, but then. Mm-hmm they might be compensating by napping during the day. So then they quote unquote catch up during the day. Um, but, um, yeah, like I usually quote like five to six hours is not unusual for, um, a, a geriatric person. Um, and this is a, again, kind of the important when I talk with people about expectations, like the C and cognitive behavioral therapy right. is like, like if, if I have someone who's, older and they're like i expect to sleep like an 18 year old and i'm like um (laughs) i wish i could be taller too (laughs) um myth or fact you should never wake a sleepwalker fact okay so um generally if uh, that's a category called parasomnias Mm -hmm. uh, and there's different types of parasomnia sleepwalking or somnambulism Uh, i think most people have some at least pop culture knowledge of yeah um that's coming typically from the deeper stages of sleep so non-rem stage three Mm -hmm. um usually these people don't have it's not related to dreaming although some people will say well i i have i have some feeling like i'm supposed to be doing something i'm looking for Mm -hmm. like a 
child in my house and I'm like but it's diff- the it's different than like the story like dreams that people experience in REM so when if you see someone who's like usually sleepwalking goes away um in a, by at least adolescence it's it's rare to it's it's not a common thing I see in adults mm-hmm. um but I do see it cuz that's what I do for a living so but usually um when if you wake someone from these deeper stages of sleep, they might react like confused and they might react violently. And yeah. so usually I tell people, don't try to wake them. Just try to redirect them. Mm-hmm. Um, parasomnia is, is it's kind of, it's a very interesting, like the stories I hear is like, sometimes I think um, it sounds paranormal. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's, it's really oh, no. creepy. Um, the things I hear and I, can you I mean, tell us one of the creepiest stories you've heard? Um, I, without giving no, of course, private information. Like I, people will see things. Um, yeah, I actually recently had someone say they felt like someone, like they would wake up with handprints on them. Like I was like, that's uh, unusual. I've never heard that before. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, parasomnia means para means around. So these are things that happen either when you're falling asleep, during sleep, waking mm-hmm. up from sleep. And basically anything that happens when you're awake has been documented during sleep. So mm-hmm. um, there's a famous case, actually a, a Canadian case, where someone drove 20 kilometers. Asleep? Asleep and oh my God. killed his mother-in-law. Oh. Yeah, famous case. Um, actually wow. the... Um, the sleep center where I got introduced to sleep medicine has a very interesting niche sub specialty where they deal with forensic sleep mm. things. So they often deal with these like cases that have legal implications. Um, and so like this, this particular case, um, so they, they came up with like criteria to, to determine, is it a parasomnia? Um, because people have been trying to use sleepwalking as a defense going to back to like the totally. 1800s. Yeah. And it's not until recently that we have like, you know, the ability to show that, yes, th- these people are coming out of deep sleep. They have this propensity, um, mm-hmm. like this case where the person killed his mother-in-law. They, they actually used it. Um, they used uh, sleepwalking as a defense and they won. Oh, wow. Um, so <laughs> that's insane. But I mean, th- how did he kill her? I think he um, either used like the like stabbed her or oh or hit, used like the tire iron. I'm not entirely sure, but yeah, it, yeah. he he it was uh, yeah it was pretty pretty brutal. Um, that's that's un, un, unusual. But I've had people tell me um, I had a patient. Um, this was back in um, Salt Lake City, where this gentleman lived outside of the city, like. Not not near a restaurant, mm-hmm. and he would wake up with fast food bags, wrapper, <laughs> oh half eaten food all over his bed. Wow! So he was sleepwalking, sleep driving, sleep yeah. eating. Oh my gosh! I can't um, imagine. <laughs> hopefully, sleep paying. <laughs> yeah, I had no yeah. In, in that case, I think it was related to a medication. 
oh, Ambien, yeah. uh, which in Canada goes by the brand name Sublinox. It was brought here in 2012 by mm-hmm. a Canadian manufacturer called Valiant Pharmaceuticals. Uh, it's now generic, but um, Ambien in the U.S. has a long track. It's been long there longer than it is here. Right. And Ambien um, is notorious for causing people to do extra stuff in their sleep. In fact, there was like heard about it. Uh, yeah, Roseanne Barr recently. I think mm-hmm. maybe a year when her show came back, and then she right. had those really crazy tweets and yeah. tried to blame it on her <laughs> Ambien. And Ambien, the manufacturer Ambien, came out and said something like, "Well, you know, we we our medications known to cause people to do unusual things, but not be racist." <laughs> <laughs> Fair. But that's that's on her. Um, but yeah, the in in the in the U.S. Um, since Ambien has such a long track record, there was a time when people were using it as like, I, it was Ambien's fault I did this. Right. But Ambien? Yeah. Now you can't use it as a defense because it would be like saying, I drank vodka and I did what? No, exactly, everyone knows yeah. that if you're intoxicated, you're going to do Same crazy thing. things. So, um, but in Canada, when it first came here, it didn't have as much knowledge. So I actually had to... I was like an expert witness in a case mm. where someone did something on Sublinox and didn't use that as a defense. And I had wow. to say that it is possible to do these unusual behaviors due to the effects of the medication. But um, it, it's such a, actually, it's it's such a, a well-known thing. There was an episode of The Simpsons mm-hmm. where Homer couldn't sleep. Homer's been di- Homer Simpson's been diagnosed with at least four sleep disorders. <laughs> Obstructive sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. narcolepsy mm-hmm. Uh, parasomnias and uh, specifically sleepwalking and sleep eating so that was related <laughs> right. to well they they didn't call it ambient on the show they called it nappian nappian <laughs> that's funny um last myth or fact i have so alcohol or wine does actually help you fall asleep faster fact okay but it does not help you stay asleep so mm-hmm. that's one of the things i ask people um, about their, their, their habits, like, um, how much do you drink? Um, because alcohol is commonly used as a sedative. There's a mm-hmm. kind of a common, you know, nightcap. Right. And so people will have alcohol to help them get to sleep, but the, the metabolism of alcohol, it's converted into a couple other things and the byproducts are not sedating. They are actually mm-hmm. activating, so people have no trouble falling asleep, but then they wake up a lot during the night. So, and um, I don't think they, if they don't recognize that, then it's it's right. one of the th- ha- one of the behaviors I try to get people to change. Okay, all right, moving on to questions I got from listeners. Okay, how do I get more deep sleep? <laughs> That's a very common question. Yes, um, I don't have a straightforward answer for that. Um, it depends on what's, you know, you'd have to ask like a lot of questions. Like, is there a sleep disorder contributing to them not getting deep sleep? Um, what are their habits at night? Is alcohol involved? Um, so yeah, I wish deep sleep, Mm -hmm. um, only occupies 20% of your total sleep time. So I get a lot of patients who come with their commercially made tracking devices that's the next question. <laughs> Fitbits. Yeah. I wear one. I have a Garmin. I have one on right now. <laughs> Apple. Yeah. And there's a term, actually, not in any, like, it's not in our textbooks yet. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my friends, 
I don't know if she coined it. She, uh, she wrote a paper on it. It's mm-hmm. called orthosomnia. Ortho means straighten. That's where like orthopedics come from. So it's like fixed mm-hmm. um, or straighten. And it comes from the eating disorder realm. So there's a term called uh, orthorexia, which is like mm-hmm. basically a really, really picky eater. Oh. Really, really like these are people who like say they're gluten sensitive, but they're not really like uh, right. celiac. Um, and they, sometimes these people can get really fixated on what they're eating and it almost mm. becomes like a, an unhealthy obsession. So orthosomnia is kind of like an unhealthy obsession with your sleep data. Oh. So they're, they're, my friend, um, uh, Kelly Glazer Barron, um, she's at the University of Utah. Mm-hmm. They published a paper on this. It was like a case series of people who had gotten either they purchased like a commercially tracking device or they got it as a gift and these are people who did not have sleep problems beforehand or maybe they had slight sleep problems beforehand and once they started tracking their sleep data Mm -hmm. they started freaking out because they don't know what's normal and what's not normal totally they'll look at oh actually i've had patients come in and say i'm not getting enough deep sleep because my fitbit says i'm (laughs) and they get all anxious and that does not help you sleep yeah. When you're anxious about your inability to sleep. Totally. <laughs> and so they're, they're, they're like, am I not get, I'm not getting enough. And then I look at their data. I'm like, well, you're getting about 20% deep sleep. That's normal. Just normal but my yeah. husband gets way more. I'm like, um, yeah, that's, that's where people, that's the, where the, the, this, their paper was talking about like, when you start tracking and you think there's something wrong, then you might start changing behaviors. Mm-hmm. Like for instance, the, the, one of the case cases in their paper, that's this person started spending more time in bed chasing after more mm-hmm. sleep. And so they were laying their feeling. And then that started creating a whole um, problem. They started conditioning themselves. Like now I'm in yeah. bed trying to sleep and feeling more makes anxious. it worse actually. Yeah. Um, so that's the next question. Do you think that smartwatch sleep tracking is accurate? No, no, not at all. No. So <laughs> good to know. <laughs> I like to ask, well, how do you think it works? Well, I know that it's just based on heart rate, but no movement it's movement. Okay. It's called actigraphy. We've okay. used it in our field for years, even before it came commercially available. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we look at the raw data, you'll see like lots and lots of movements. It's like little spikes of activity. And then during yeah. sleep, there's less movement. And then lots of movement. So you can kind of get an idea when someone's asleep. So it's 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 nice data over time. So like when we do a sleep study where you spend one night in a sleep facility, we get actual mm-hmm. objective data about the, your sleep based on your brainwave activity, but it's one yeah. night. Right. Versus data over weeks, but it's not actually sleep data. It's, it's a surrogate of sleep which is based on movement. Now, a lot of these companies actually don't tell us how they get the data. We're speculating it's based mm-hmm. on movement. They might incorporate... The more data you incorporate, the more accurate it becomes. Right. Um, heart rate, um, body temperature, but it's not as accurate as measuring sleep through the brain, brainwave Definitely. activity. So yeah. um, I've actually turned mine, my Garmin watch to measure my sleep and it's totally inaccurate it says i slept 10 hours straight i'm like i know i woke up and looked at my phone which you're not supposed to do but yeah 
<laughs> I did. And I'm, I'm like, I, I know I was awake and it said I was asleep the whole time. So it's, it's, um, it's data, which you, it's, it, I don't, I try not to this when people come in, they're interested. Obviously they're interested cause they're in my office. They want to know mm-hmm. how to improve things, but, um, it's kind of like tracking, um, your diet. If you're going to a weight loss clinic, you kind of have to right. get some data. If you become obsessed about your calories, that's also not healthy either. For um, sure. What is a common misconception about sleep? Oh, I, I mentioned one. REM is deep. Right, that one. REM is active. <laughs> um, the eight-hour thing, I think, is a mm-hmm. very like I. It's kind of it's guidelines. Uh, there's there's For sure. outliers. So. Okay. What are your suggested top sleep habits to get a good sleep routine? Um, maintain a regular schedule. Mm-hmm. A lot of people do this thing during the work week. They have one schedule and then on the weekends they shift. I try to practice what I preach. So I try to keep my schedule fairly consistent. So like on the weekends, right. people end up sleeping in, going to bed later and sleeping in. There's actually a, a term called social jet lag. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everyone knows what jet lag is, where you're traveling yeah. more than a few time zones and your schedule gets out of line with um, your biologic sleep time. So jet lag or social jet lag is um, changing your schedule without actually traveling. So that's where people have one schedule during the work week. Let's say they go to bed at 10, wake up at 6. On the weekends, they go to bed much later, sleep in, mm-hmm. and then they find it's harder to fall asleep Sunday night. That's right. really common because... You know, they're anticipating the work week. And then because they slept in Sunday morning, it's harder to fall asleep Sunday night. And that can create a whole you mm-hmm. know, bad pattern for the rest of the week where they struggle to get to sleep. And then by the end of the week, they're exhausted. And then they end up going yeah. and it creates a vicious cycle. So trying to maintain as regular schedule as possible. Um, caffeine. I think everyone has caffeine in the morning. Coffee is very common. Right. I, um trying to limit if you're having trouble sleeping trying to limit how much caffeine you get in the afternoon again for sure very vicious cycle people don't sleep well they compensate by napping using stimulants then they don't sleep well mm-hmm. and they kind of get into a bad habit um alcohol consumption that's something that i think people don't realize how much it has an effect mm-hmm. um Nutrition, I think, is something we don't talk a lot about because it's just fairly new. Like when it comes to like what people eat, it's usually caffeine and alcohol. But there's some new data suggesting that that there's also uh, effects of macronutrients, like um, the amount of fiber you consume, Mm -hmm. um, more fiber, better sleep, um, processed foods, worse sleep. Um, I've actually had patients... um, Again, this is more recently supported by science, but over the years, I've noticed people who um, go on like low carbohydrate diets start noticing their sleep improve. And in my mind, it, it was always these were usually patients who had um, obstructive sleep apnea and were overweight or obese. And then they go on diets, they start losing weight, and then their their sleep apnea gets better. But I've had people who were who did not have obstructive sleep apnea. Let's say they were they had insomnia and they were going on these diets as well and they would notice an improvement in their sleep mm-hmm. um so i think the carbohydrate highly processed foods near bedtime tend to have an activating effect on sleep good to know 
Um, next question. Is there something a person can do to fall asleep faster? If you're in bed trying to fall asleep faster, that actually makes it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I try to get people to do, if this happens on a regular basis, if you're having trouble getting to sleep, one of the first steps I try to get people to do is to re- reduce their time in bed. Either going to bed a little bit later or waking up a little bit earlier, um, trying to increase. And the idea is you're trying to increase their sleep drive, uh, make them more sleepy. So that when they get into bed, they're not laying there feeling anxious so that they're, yeah. they're right. so they break that relationship. Um, one way of thinking of it is like some people get conditioned. They get in the, they get into bed and their brain wakes up. I try to get them to spend less time in bed. Okay. Um, do you have time for two more questions? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. perfect. What causes my brain to stay awake all night thinking repetitively? <laughs> um, it's uh, could be a couple things, um, but without knowing more information, I, I would say it's conditioning. It's uh, mm-hmm. the, If you're there in bed, it's quiet. There's no distraction. You're awake and your brain becomes active. That's call it active thinking. And then you're laying there trying to sleep. Mm-hmm. You start your brain starts associating that place, that time of the night, with that activity, and people unknowingly will make it worse by spending more time there doing that activity. Yeah. So I try to get people to, if they wake up, don't look at the clock. Knowing the time creates more anxiety. anxiety so then yeah. people are like, "Well, how long should I lay there?" Well, don't base it on a time. A lot of people will, will say, "Well, I'll just give myself ten more minutes." Maybe in ten, 15, that turns into hours. Oh, God. Once you wake up and you feel like, is it time to get up? You don't have a clock. I actually suggest set an alarm every mm-hmm. day, no matter w- whether you're working or it's the weekend. Set the alarm every day so that if the alarm hasn't gone off, it's not time to get up. But if you wake up, don't look at the clock, but if you feel awake, you're wired, you have to leave. This is the hard part. The okay. more time you're there trying to sleep, it's going to make it worse. So I ask people, leave the bed. But don't like start your day. Don't get right. up and do like work. No. You have to leave, go somewhere else where there's a potential for sleep. Another bedroom, living room, somewhere where you could potentially fall asleep. And the goal is to do something distracting. Something that takes your mind off trying to sleep. Right. Sleep happens when you're not focused on it. If you are focused on trying to sleep, it will not happen. Sleep is like the person that knows you like them and plays hard to get the more you chase after it the more sleep thinks so like people i'm desperate yeah when you're desperate think sleep is grossed out by you and it runs away <laughs> and so you have to let sleep come to you so you have to not be thinking about it mm-hmm. um so sometimes people will tell me this is a very common they'll say well i'm in the living room watching tv in the evening and i get sleepy and mm-hmm. i'm like like Sleepy versus fatigue, not the same. So they actually right. are like getting sleepy. They're kind of starting to fall asleep. And that's a good sign. But then they say, well, I'm, I get sleepy. So then I run to the bedroom and jump in. As soon as I get into bed, my mind wakes up. Mm-hmm. That's conditioning. They've associated that place with being awake. So then they stay there. So the they actually should do, they should actually leave. Do the opposite, right? Interesting. That reminded me of another question that I forgot to ask. Sure. Um, like, what is happening when you fall asleep and you wake up an hour later and you think it's morning because you, like, thought you had the best, longest sleep and you wake up and it's, like, 12 or so 1 a.m.? Your deepest sleep 
is within the first three to four hours. Right. So I suspect like if you, you you wake up after an hour or two, um, you've gotten some deep sleep um, and so it feels like, oh, it's time to get up and it's not. Definitely not. That happens to me all the time. <laughs> that makes sense. Okay, last question I have from social media. Uh, CBD oil. Yes. Is this something you would recommend for people? Huh. Um, well, let me let me say that we we don't have any data, scientific data showing cannabis is safe or helpful. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of data on the prescription grade medications. Um, CBD is a work in progress. We don't know. Um, so I can only go with the, the experience I have with patients. Cause like I said, we don't have any data. So the, the experience I've seen or the, the anecdotal data I've seen from, from patients is that it doesn't always work. The scenario I see it works mm-hmm. in is in someone who has anxiety. Cause if you're anxious, right. if you have an anxiety disorder, like I said, that can be the cause and the standard approach to treating anxiety disorders um, either through psychotherapy and or in combination with a medication mm-hmm. um, and a lot of times like these medications are the same medications used to treat um, clinical depression they're like Prozac fluoxetine SSRIs right. SNRIs sometimes when doctors start people on these medications for an anxiety disorder um, their anxiety immediately gets worse Hmm. it and without the proper education these people often will stop the medication prematurely and say it didn't work i got more anxious yeah and that's very common but if if they were properly educated and say okay before it gets any better it's going to get a little worse you just got to kind of push through it um but it will get better if you as long as you stay on it and i think what happens is a lot of people stop it prematurely so the way i think CBD works as it helps reduce anxiety, allowing someone mm-hmm. to actually sleep. I have seen people where CBD doesn't work, and often those people aren't, they don't have anxiety, so it makes them kind right. of calm, but they're not really sleepy. So, my opinion is ideally you treat the underlying cause properly, mm-hmm. um, but um, I guess for some people it does benefit. It's I guess the other difficult thing is trying to find the right dose of CBD, what the concentration, how much, is it pure CBD versus a little THC? Um, Most people I've seen who have some response, again, have anxiety, usually use mostly CBD, small amount of THC, Hmm. but it doesn't help everybody. In fact, I've had a few people say um, it, it made them more... It had the made opposite. it worse. It made them more awake, yeah. and I think that has to um, do with well, what, how much, what, what, what did they get? Um, totally. Okay. All right. Well, that's all I have. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and answering all these questions. I learned a lot. One being that I might have to come in and see if I have narcolepsy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you so much, and I appreciate your time. And yeah, thank you. Sure.